Hello and welcome to Lab Roving. My name is Dr George Busby and I'm a malaria geneticist at Oxford University. This podcast is all about the Mobile Malaria Project, which took me and my team 7,500 kilometres across the African continent. We wanted to learn about some of the cutting-edge research currently being done on malaria in the countries we visited. And on this podcast, you can hear conversations with some of the people we met along the way. For some background on malaria and the Mobile Malaria Project, check out our first episode trailer. In today's episode, I speak with Professor Davis Mumbengegui from the University of Namibia. Prof, as he is affectionately known, was incredibly helpful during the planning stages of the Mobile Malaria Project. And although we didn't have time to use our mobile lab with him and his team in Vintook, Davis showed us round his department and accompanied us at the beginning of our road trip. I started by asking Davis about his work using molecular tools or genetics in Namibia, but not before he sorted out my pronunciation of his name. So we're lab roving in the back of the Land Rover on our way to Devundu in northern Namibia with Professor Davis. Mumbengegui, one syllable at a time. Mumbengegui. You got that right. There we go, we're with Davis Mumbengegui. And Davis, tell us a bit about what you're doing. So um, we're working closely with the Ministry of Health. Namibia is trying to eliminate malaria by 2022. So we're trying to do a number of uh, operational research studies which range from vector control to looking at parasites, how they're transmitted, their transmission networks, speciating the different parasites, the different mosquitoes. And, you know, we're starting to use more and more of uh, molecular tools because they give us a lot more information than doing things morphologically uh, or serologically. So genetics is reasonably, uh, a reasonably new technology that people are trying to use in this part of the world to to research malaria? Absolutely. I I think genetics is definitely new Um, and it's partly because there's more and more tools that uh, we're able to use. Um, We started using uh, molecular tools to pick up uh, low-level infections, uh, sub-patent infections, and we found some interesting results. And we've also started to use use these tools to look at transmission and networks, multiplicity of infection. So it does give us a lot more inf- information than conventional tools. And would it be right to say that because transmission and prevalence are reasonably low in this part of the world, that makes the molecular tools a bit more important? Absolutely. And we're hoping that there'll be more and more guidance, especially from the WHO and such organizations about how to use uh, molecular tools because they are, you know, incredibly useful uh, in low transmission settings. I, I, I talked about uh, diagnostics. Uh, we use uh, rapid uh, diagnostic tools which have a very fast uh, output, 20 minutes, you know, whether you have malaria. Molecular tools can take a little bit longer, but they give you a lot more information. They can pick up uh, very low levels of infection which are asymptomatic and you're able to tell where the disease is even if you know you can't see it symptomatically so yeah the benefit of genetics then is that it's 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 much more powerful information but it takes a bit longer to get that's right um it's a lot more powerful it takes a bit longer to get the results and unfortunately also you can't do it whilst you're in the field you have to go back to central lab so we get excited when we look at uh mobile uh, tools that can be used within the field because you could actually have uh, 
your results a little faster whilst you're in the field and be able to actually do something uh, whilst you're still in the field instead of going back to the city and uh, doing the, the full analysis. So we're in our Land Rover right in the north of the country driving uh, through the Kavango region and it's incredibly beautiful. There are lots of green trees on the side of the road uh, which is passing a little settlement here on the, on the left with corrugated iron houses and old, old kind of homesteads. You actually work in Windhoek most of the time. How much, how much of your time do you spend up in the north where the malaria burden is much greater? So um, I'm, I'm, I'm based in Windhoek. Uh, that's where our lab and uh, the main campus of the university is. But we do have uh, 12 campuses uh, around the country. And uh, we're going to Katimam Lilo right now which is one of our major sites. So I spend a bit of time there. And also we're coming from uh, Kavango, uh, in Rundu in Kavango, where we've also had study sites. Uh, and in the north central part of Namibia, we also have several study sites there. So I would say I probably spend about 20 to 30% of my time in the field. Great, so you, you've got a really good understanding of what's going on up here. Um, can you talk a bit about how you try and fund your research? So you mentioned that you work a bit with the Malaria Control Programme, which is, I guess, part of the Government Ministry of Health. Uh, presumably they have funding, but do you, where do you get the money from to do your work? <coughs> so um, the, the, the Malaria Control Programme, the official title, is Nat National Vector-Borne Disease Control Programme, and uh, most of the activities that they do are more programmatic and uh, they have an agreement with the university to conduct all the operational research to support them. So most of the funding that uh, we've received for our research is through research partnerships through international universities, like obviously uh, Oxford University. Our main partner is University of California, San Francisco, the Malaria Elimination Initiative. So we do get quite a lot of funding uh, through them because they do get generous support from uh, the Gates Foundation. We've had projects funded by the Novartis Foundation for sustainable development. Uh, we also work with the University of Texas Southwestern, London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. So uh, through our partnerships, uh, we have been able to access funding from uh, different sources, but most of it has not been domestic. Okay, so that's a, that's a bit of a challenge then? Oh, it's definitely a challenge. I, I mean, um, you do need quite a lot of resources uh, to conduct research. I forgot to mention our Clinton Health Access Initiative. They're also based in Namibia. They're actually embedded within the malaria program and they do also support quite a lot of activities. So I think the issue of awareness of the challenge of malaria and the resources that are required uh, for research, um, it needs to be there. The main focus uh, of uh, the malaria control program is making sure they try and prevent malaria and uh, they control malaria wherever it is. So it's really providing health and not doing the research. So we and our partners come in and we try and gather as much evidence as possible to help them do their job. So you very kindly arranged an interview between us uh, and Elimination 8 last week in, in Windhoek, which was great, so we got to meet Elimination 8. Can you tell us a bit about what they're doing and how that's a bit different from what people have done in the past? So it's, it's great that the Elimination 8 is one of the players on the field right now, because if you look at the malaria landscape in southern Africa, 
you do realize some countries have more malaria than others and those that have more malaria tend to have their parasite load come into the lower transmission settings and that's because uh, our, our geographical boundaries are, are very artificial you get communities moving across these borders and transmitting the i mean the malaria parasite gets to cross the borders so, so, at, the, so at the moment we're tracking along the yeah. Okavango River, right? And it, just on the other side of that is Angola, which is probably less than a few hundred meters away. Exactly, George. I mean, Angola is just over, just across the river. So if you do get, you know, a strong wind, it can blow all the mosquitoes carrying Plasmodia um, over into Namibia. So the point I'm trying to make is there's so much connectivity in malaria in the region. The E8 is a recognition that there's that connectivity and no countries in Ireland. You can't try and eliminate malaria by yourself. So in coming together, identifying where the gaps are and complementing each other, then, you know, there can be movement towards, a coordinated movement towards uh, elimination. In most of the genetics work that we've done so far, he's been working with uh, Dr. Brian Greenhouse uh, at University of California, San Francisco. And we're also starting to work with uh, uh, Professor Faith Osia, who is uh, from Kemri Welcome, and is also at uh, Heidelberg University in Germany. I found the concept of Elimination 8, which is this supranational eight-country consortium, really fascinating. What interested me most about this idea is that it signals that malaria is a disease which will only be solved, if you like, by collaboration across borders. As I said in the car, we visited Elimination 8, and you can find out more about that visit on our website, mobilemalaria.com. So I next asked Davis whether the presence of Elimination 8 meant that there was growing capacity for genetic sequencing and its translation in southern Africa. I, I would say we're definitely moving in, in that direction. And uh, the great part of being part of partnerships is, you know, you get access to more funding, you get more technical capacity, uh, where you start to get more equipment. And right now we've been able to train uh, students at PhD level, a couple of master's students, and we're actually starting to have undergraduates who are doing projects in our lab, uh, working on uh, mosquitoes and plasmodium parasites, learning to do PCR. And this was not something that was happening a few years ago. That's great. And, you know, part of the reason that we're, we're, we, we're coming on this trip is because we want to try and understand what the appetite and need for genetic technology is. And we've got our, our small sequencing machines in the boot. Do you think that from what we've told you about the technology, do you think it's, a, you know, something that you'd like to consider using in the future? Um, I, I'll tell you, George, I, the moment you talked about coming on this trip, we, we got super excited and, you know, we couldn't wait uh, to have you come down and see the technology that you've been showing us. Um, I'll, I'll say this is something still new to us and we'd definitely like to do a lot more. And I can tell you that even talking, to, talking about at a national level, there is a keen interest to see what operational research can be done with these molecular tools on the mosquitoes, on the plasmodia parasite and what can it tell us that we're already missing so yes definitely great well that's really cool to hear and you know we really hope that we will be able to come back in the future and uh, having tested the feasibility of all the, all the technology here in the field we hope that it will definitely lead on to other things so just one last question for you Davis 
what do you see as the, the main challenges to malaria research in the future and what do you think can be done to, to deal with them? I, I think the first thing that we need to do is to come up with new tools that will help us to answer our questions a lot more easily and a lot faster and at a lower cost because there's so many unknowns, that's the first thing. Then the second is for us to be able to get enough support to get these new innovations uh, be accepted uh, as uh, useful interventions so that they can be implemented. So we do hope, you know, organizations like the WHO, which review tools which are used uh, to fight malaria, uh, can also review these new tools and give recommendations that allow them to be implemented. Great. Well, thanks for talking to us, and I hope you're comfortable in this car. Oh, um, this is the most comfortable I've ever been going to the field. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to get what's, out when we get there. What's the temperature like? It's very, it's very cool in here. It's, it's um, yeah. the temperature outside is 33 degrees apparently, but in here we're we're the AC's on low, and uh, we're about to turn the music on. I think. All right. Thank you very much, George. Cheers, Davis. Namibia is a low malaria transmission country, meaning that malaria is not a huge problem there and they are moving towards elimination, which is a different set of challenges compared to countries where malaria is endemic. It was nice to talk with Davis and learn about how he and his team use molecular and genetic tools and the potential for these, including mobile genetic sequencing, for his work in the future. One incredibly important tool he mentioned are rapid diagnostic tests, or RDTs. These are small, cheap devices onto which you can put a single drop of blood and test whether somebody is infected with malaria. These have been really important because they allow health workers to accurately diagnose people with malaria quickly and easily, helping them to administer treatment to those most at need. In our next podcast, I'll be speaking more about RDTs with Munya Tambo, one of Davis's PhD students who joined us in the north of Namibia. See you next time. Lab Roving was recorded in Africa and Oxford and is written and produced by me, George Busby. A massive thank you to the Mobile Malaria Project team, Jason Hendry and Isaac Genai, without whom the project just simply would not have happened. Music for Lab Roving is by Dylan Joseph via Epidemic Sounds. Sounds.